0: You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Thomas Bursault, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Kaskill and presented by the National Lipid Association. Is the estrogen controversy over? Women's Health Initiative hormone trials have been widely interpreted as demonstrating that combined menopausal hormone therapy fails to protect against and may increase cardiovascular disease in menopausal women. A critical evaluation of the KEEPS trial, however, suggests that the relationship between estrogen and coronary artery disease is unsettled. Welcome to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Elliot Brinton, Director of the Metabolism Section of Cardiovascular Genetics, and Associate Professor at the University of Utah School of Medicine, and a Fellow of the American Heart Association. And he's going to help us provide some clarification on the relationship between estrogen and coronary artery disease. Dr. Britton, welcome back to Lipid Illuminations.
1: Thank you very much. Great to be with you.
0: Well, the Women's Health Initiative was a pretty big randomized trial of menopausal hormone therapy, and it seemed to show quite clearly that menopausal hormone therapy is harmful. Why do you seem to take issue with that?
1: That's a good question. I guess part of my problem is that my training is in endocrinology, and, and what endocrinologists do for a living is we replace hormones, missing hormones. I mean, occasionally, we'll try to treat a high hormone level, but most of our job is to is to replace hormones that are missing, and, and I just don't view estrogen deficiency as being such a terrific thing. I mean, the menopause has certain advantages, for sure, but estrogen deficiency, per se, has very, very few benefits and I think a lot of harms. There's a lot of damage done to the body by estrogen deficiency. Osteoporosis, for example, crystal clear. Central nervous system seems to fall apart without estrogen and atherosclerosis seems to be stimulated by the lack of estrogen. So I think that in general, hormone deficiency is a bad thing. And so my first reaction is to say, hey, let's go ahead and try to replace those hormones. Now, the other thing that's really interesting is that Women's Health Initiative, which supposedly showed just uniform harm across all groups of the population, actually there was quite a bit of benefit and net benefit relative to any possible harm in the women who started estrogen prior to age 60. And if you think about that for a minute, that's, what, 99% mm-hmm. of all clinical estrogen use. So the Women's Health Initiative, supposedly showing us exactly what we do in clinical practice, in fact, was studying a very rare event, which is starting somebody uh, on estrogen for the very first time in their 60s or their 70s.
0: So, I mean, would you say that there is a, a universal consensus that continuing menopausal hormone therapy after a few years is necessary to preserve the health of women?
1: Well, that's the question, and there is something of a consensus that it is harmful, actually, to continue MHT, menopausal hormone therapy, after a few years, but the consensus is really not based on anything in particular except just opinion, because the Women's Health Initiative studied the consequences of starting estrogen. Most of the women were not taking estrogen and had never taken estrogen replacement. It showed the studies, uh, the, the consequences of starting estrogen after how many every years, 5, 15, 20, 30 years into the menopause, but it didn't study the consequences of stopping estrogen. So it's kind of ironic that our guideline says, well, you can take estrogen for a few years if you need to for menopausal symptoms, but by golly, you have to stop it because the Women's Health Initiative showed that stopping estrogen is so beneficial. Well, they never studied stopping estrogen, so I'm really mystified as to how this so-called consensus ever started because the consensus guideline to stop estrogen is something that the Women's Health Initiative didn't study. If anything, the only data we have, and these are observational data, they're not very good, are that the sooner you stop estrogen, the more harm is done and the less the benefit. So it's just the exact opposite of what you would think.
0: So the common wisdom is usually wrong.
1: Well, in this case, I don't see any basis for it, and it's just it's a crazy deal. I mean, the message was estrogen is bad, therefore you know, minimize its use, and I guess to a certain degree that makes sense. But if you look at the detail, it's really surprising that the Women's Health Initiative didn't study anything at all related to what our current guidelines say.
0: Well, what about the whole breast cancer worry? Doesn't hormone therapy cause breast cancer?
1: Well, it's interesting. They've made a lot about the fact that breast cancer incidence or diagnosis has gone down since the WHI came out and since there's been a decline in estrogen use. The interesting thing is that the decline actually started before the publication of the WHI, before there was any downturn in estrogen use. And these effects are so quick, they're kind of too quick. I mean, breast cancer takes, what, 10 or 15 years. I'm not an oncologist. It takes a long time. And so exactly what would a quick six-month benefit mean? Is it just that we're diagnosing it? A- Breast cancer later, we don't really know. If you look at the observational data, which is really all that we have, it looks as if taking progestin, and especially medroxyprogesterone, may indeed increase the risk of breast cancer. But in the Women's Health Initiative, there was a, a very strong trend towards a decrease in breast cancer during the first seven years or so, at least, with estrogen alone, and if you look at the observational data, it probably takes at least 15 or 20 years before there's any discernible rise in breast cancer. And at that point in time, all the other benefits—the osteoporosis and what I would view as cardiovascular benefits of estrogen and, and central nervous system, etc., prevention of diabetes—you can go on and on—are also great. That a 5, 10, 15, 20 percent increase in breast cancer is, is probably negligible.
0: Well, there's some complicated stuff going on there. And if the doctors don't even understand it, how are we supposed to have an intelligent conversation with our patients? And what is a primary care physician supposed to do when a woman asks, should I stop or should I continue?
1: Well, what I try to do is to tell a woman what I know. And and I think every perimenopausal, early menopausal woman needs to have a conversation with her provider and to talk about whether estrogen replacement makes sense or not. Certainly in the setting of moderate to severe menopausal symptoms I think is beneficial. And very few people would argue that that's a bad idea to at least start it and treat temporarily. The question comes after you've taken it, say, for five years, your symptoms may be a little better, maybe they're not better. The idea is, well, now you have to stop. And at that point, I think, so first of all, I would encourage women to consider estrogen. Many of them are scared to take it even though they may need it. Secondly, once you've been on it for a few years, I would suggest that you take a long, hard look at the pros and the cons, and if you are taking estrogen plus progestin, especially medroxyprogesterone, there may ultimately be an increase in breast cancer risk, but that can be minimized by reducing the dose of estrogen, by considering stopping the progestin. If a woman is followed carefully, even if she hasn't had a hysterectomy, at, say, a dose of 0.3 of Premarin, the risk of, of uterine cancer is, is really very, very low, and with appropriate follow-up with endometrial ultrasound and whatnot, the risk is probably zero of developing endometrial cancer. So if a woman can be followed carefully, you may not even need the progestin, and if you're worried about osteoporosis, Alzheimer's disease, any of these other diseases that are diabetes where women who take estrogen have much, much lower rates, I am reluctant to stop the drug, and my rule is that I don't stop it unless I have a reason. If a woman develops a complication of estrogen, I will stop it. In the absence of a specific indication to stop estrogen, I continue it for life.
0: Well, that is actually very helpful. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on Reach MD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and my guest today is Dr. Elliot Brinton, Director of Metabolism Section of Cardiovascular Genetics and Associate Professor at the University of Utah School of Medicine and a Fellow of the American Heart Association. We're talking about the continuing controversy between estrogen and coronary artery disease. Dr. Brinton... Where do you fall on the topic of whether or not hormone therapy can increase the risk of stroke?
1: Well, there was a trend upward in stroke in the WHI, and that's rather concerning. But if you go back to the observational data where we have some dose comparisons, we can see that there is a very different risk of stroke at half dose. So a 0.3 of premerin or its equivalent, say a 0.5 in, in estradiol, it appears that the risk of stroke may actually be reduced And that may have to do with thrombosis. We know that thrombosis can be caused by estrogen treatment, and that's especially true at higher doses and especially true with oral agents. So if you go to low-dose oral or if you use a patch, the risk of thrombosis is increased very little or maybe not at all. And perhaps for that reason, there is this suggestion in the literature that a low-dose may actually reduce stroke instead of increasing it.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about the KEEPS trial and and how that relates to our discussion?
1: is the Cronos Early Estrogen Progestin Study, and, and we're one of nine centers involved in this trial, we're testing something called the Early Start Hypothesis, which is that if you use estrogen replacement at a time when estrogen deficiency is just beginning, the estrogen receptors are still there, nothing much has happened, and it appears to have very different effects than if you wait several years, which is what happened on average in the Women's Health Initiative, where the estrogen receptors are either gone or they're greatly altered, you have progression of atherosclerosis, a number of other things, and then starting up estrogen all of a sudden out of the blue seems to cause a lot of problems. There's uh, an increase in heart attacks that occurs early on. There's this increase in stroke, other things that seem to happen because you waited so long to start. So if you replace estrogen at the time of the menopause, it seems to have a different effect. Now, we don't know this for a fact, and that's why we're doing keeps. We're actually comparing low-dose pill with low-dose patch versus placebo in women that have just entered the menopause. We're going to look at atherosclerosis in the neck and in the heart, and then we're going to study a number of other things, including breast cancer, breast density, cognition, a number of other things that are of interest with estrogen, and see if we can do a better job of looking at this early start, which there was a suggestion in the WHI that that was actually beneficial in those women who started it early.
0: Well, do you expect that Keeps will be able to answer whether or not an estrogen patch turns out to be better than giving it by pill?
1: We may. We may see a difference. We really don't know because there's so little head-on comparison, especially in a randomized trial between those two types of agents, two preparations. Um, My intuition is that they'll both probably be helpful. I think there are some women that prefer a pill versus a patch. Some prefer the patch to the pill. There are probably going to be some differences, but my guess is that the majority of the endpoints will probably be similar between those two study arms.
0: And in addition to pharmaceutical estrogens, we have bioidentical estrogens or, or plant estrogens. How do you feel about those?
1: I just think it's really a lot of hype, frankly, with all due regard to Suzanne Summers and other experts in the field, quote experts in the field. It's a marking ploy, I think, primarily. There are these compounding pharmacies that'll go and put whatever estrogen you want. The problem is that there's very little monitoring there. The FDA doesn't get involved. They tend to charge more money. The plant estrogens may have effects, may not have effects. They haven't been well studied. I mean, on the one hand, I always Try to go with what my patients say. If they feel one way or another way on a given preparation, I try to accommodate that. But across the board, there is very, very little science behind any of these bioidentical or plant estrogens, and the notion that by giving these that you're automatically protected from any harm that may have been seen in the WHI or other studies is really not well-founded. So I think a scientific approach, a rational approach is much better, and this wishful thinking that some alternative estrogen is necessarily better is just not well-established.
0: And as we go into the future by perhaps analyzing individual patients' estrogen receptor gene polymorphisms, do you think we'll be able to tell who will actually benefit from estrogen and who it would harm?
1: Clearly, every field of medicine needs that type of answer. And I'm sure that there are things that we have yet to learn about the differences between women because two women may have totally opposite responses at a number of levels to estrogen. So we are definitely in need of that type of information. The other thing we need, frankly, is for the NIH or someone else to sponsor a discontinuation study. We need to take all these women that we're telling stop estrogen and say, hey, we're not sure, we'll randomize you, we'll blind you, we'll stop some and not stop others, and then follow for 5, 10, 15 years and see what happens. We haven't done that study yet, and that is desperately needed because we're giving advice basically without knowing what we're doing.
0: Dr. Britton, how do you feel about screening for coronary artery disease at the period of menopause?
1: Well, I think every woman at the time of menopause needs several different screenings. One of them would be the assessment of risk for cardiovascular disease. And sadly, we don't have a really good way of doing this non-invasively, so what I would suggest is first and foremost start with a lipid panel with assessment of other risk factors such as the presence or absence of diabetes, hypertension, family history. All those things need to be looked at carefully. And if a statin is warranted for LDL lowering, start that because there's excellent evidence that whatever harm might be done by estrogen replacement is reduced greatly by starting a statin ahead of time, and certainly one does not replace the other. Now, other things I would definitely look for is risk of osteoporosis. Many of these women need either a heel ultrasound or a DEXA to see exactly how much bone they have. Look at the family history and other risk factors for osteoporosis because making a woman estrogen deficient by denying her estrogen replacement is guaranteed to lose bone and osteoporosis is a huge cause of death and disability especially among women. Other factors would be a family history of breast cancer although ironically it turns out women with a positive family history of breast cancer are at no greater risk of breast cancer if they take estrogen versus not.
0: Well, Dr. Brinton, thank you very much for coming back on the show.
1: Thank you. I enjoyed it.
0: My guest was Dr. Elliot Brinton, Director of the Metabolism Section of Cardiovascular Genetics and Associate Professor at the University of Utah School of Medicine and a fellow of the American Heart Association, and he was helping us understand the controversy between estrogen and coronary artery disease. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.